welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. It's episode 61. And my guest this week is Zoe Burnett, who is an author, a speaker, and a mental health advocate who talks uh, more specifically, well, about a lot of different aspects of mental health and mental illness, but um, more specifically, she's more active in the eating disorder community. And we caught up over Zoom to chat about that, really, to chat about Zoe's experiences with atypical anorexia. And because it is atypical, uh, the different stigma that's involved in that and the problems that come from not being able to get a diagnosis and not fitting the system and the stereotypical way of looking at an eating disorder and the difficulties that leads to in um, into getting help and to getting looked after. And that's a that's a really fascinating part of the conversation. It's um, it's got a very happy ending, but it's a very it's a heartbreaking conversation, really. I found it really sad just that people go through that you know that Zoe has been through that and that that there's a lot of people out there that are um yeah going through these things and not able to access help so that was a really interesting part of the conversation and like I say there's a happy ending so so that's all right and we talk about loads of stuff Zoe spent so much time like working on herself and uh, researching this stuff and talking about this stuff and exploring it that she's really able to go everywhere with it so it's really really cool and we talk about self-esteem we talk about the recovery process we talk about self-care, set point theory, body image, all sorts of stuff, living authentically. Yeah, it's a really, really cool chat. I very much enjoyed it. Zoe's got a really, like a really positive energy and that's infectious, you know, and I had so much fun chatting to it. It was really, really cool. Yeah, we both kind of like laughed a lot, which was quite unusual given some of the things that we were talking about. But yeah, I really liked that about it and on Zoe's website, go on her website and have a look. It's uh, barefootrebel.co.uk and it's a really colourful website and her sort of saying or catchphrase or whatever you want to call it is like live life in full colour and I think that's the perfect description of Zoe. You know, live life in full colour. It's Yeah, it's really cool. It was lovely to meet her. When we did record this conversation, um, I was actually isolated. Me and my little family had covid and it'd been a few days, we were a few days into it, and I think it must have been my wife's day to have a rest, and I'd had the kids all day, and me and Zoe recorded this of an evening, so by the time we sat down, I'd pretty much just been hanging out with a five-year-old and a four-year-old all day, and hadn't had a lot of grown-up conversation, so I was a little bit giddy by the time I spoke to Zoe, especially after being in the house for a few days, and so, um, yeah, when I've had a listen back, my performance is, I don't know how to describe it really a little erratic you know this is not one of those podcasts that starts at the beginning and ends at the end I'm a little bit all over the place but I was enjoying myself so much we just went for it and it's really cool but um I did forget slash ran out of time to ask Zoe about a book and I want to mention that now because I think it's really really important so Zoe's got a book and it's called Inside My Ed 
yeah, I think it, it would have been really cool to chat to that and to get some more information from Zoe about it because I think it's a really important read. I think people who read that book, you know, might well feel seen. They might well learn a bit about eating disorders. It could be a very useful tool if you've had a diagnosis or if you're trying to get a diagnosis or if you have someone in your life that is suffering with this. Um, yeah, so go check it out. I've put an Amazon link in the episode notes, but yeah, apologies, Zoe, because I didn't mention your book. But um, yeah, go and check that out if you're interested in that sort of thing. You can follow Zoe on social media at Barefoot Rebel One, and her website is barefootrebel.co.uk. She's also done a really cool TED talk called Healthy Weight, Unhealthy Mind. It's all about Setpoint Theory and Zoe's journey and all the rest of it, and it's really, really good. And I've put the link to that as well. And if you like this episode, there's a few others that you might like. I spoke to Dr. Amelia Thompson, who is a nutritionist, and she has a very holistic way of looking at nutrition and lifestyle. And she's all about acceptance and core values and intuitive eating and all that sort of stuff. She does some great work. I'd highly recommend that episode. I also chatted to Sharifa Jay, who's a plus size model, and we talk a lot about body image and um, particularly in the in the modeling world and in relation to social media and uh, yeah body positivity and that whole movement we chat a lot about that and I've also spoke to um, Hope Virgo who's another um, eating disorder campaigner and um, that's another wonderful conversation lived experience chat about all this sort of stuff and um, yeah if you like this episode go and check those ones out as well You must know all my stuff by now at Proper Mental Podcast on all social media and propermentalpodcast.com for the website. You can get hold of me on either of those. And the best way to support the podcast is to like, subscribe, rate on Spotify, review on iTunes, tell your mate, tag me on social media, send it to your auntie, spread the word. I would absolutely love it if you could do that for me. Anyway... That's all you need to know from me. This is episode 61 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Zoe Burnett, the Barefoot Rebel. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Zoe Burnett. How are you, mate? I'm really well. Thank you so much for having me on today. How's your day been? It's been all right. It's been all right. We're um we're isolating at the moment, my little family. We're uh we've we've got COVID in the house. It finally got us. It's the first time we've had we've been affected by it. Um, but we're pretty much all symptom free. Uh I test for work and so does my wife. So it only really flagged, you know, of like routine check-in. Um, so it's been quite a nice week because no one's poorly. We're just all like hanging it, hanging out together. So yeah, it's oh, been all right. Bless your heart. Well, I'm pleased to hear, you know, you're not really, really poorly with it. And if anything, you get just getting a little bit of extra time as a family. That's it, mate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I said, oh, it's always whenever there's not the, all the life stuff to do, like having to get out the door for work and get the kids into school. Yeah. And, um, everything, everyone's just like calm and my kids aren't fighting with each other. That's a, quite a change. And, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's kind of just like, getting along and as soon as you have to you know mix with the outside world and do all the societal stuff that's when it starts going wrong right that's when it gets when it gets hard but thank you so much that's it mate yeah but thank you for joining me mate and I'm really glad we can make this happen because it sounds like you're super busy at the moment Zoe yeah 
yeah, you know, we have I've got a few little bits and bobs going on, shall we say. But um, I've recently started, well, no, I've been there for about four or five months now, actually. I say recently started, but Christmas happened and that threw me. <laughs> but I started um, a new job with uh, Steps Eating Soda Charity. Um, so I'm supporting children and young people now with eating sodas. And it's just oh, my nice. absolute dream job. And I just love it. Oh, mate, that's awesome. Yeah. Was that something you've been um, like working towards getting into for a little while, Zoe? Is that... Um... Absolutely. You know what? I jokingly said to my community, when I was unwell, to my community support work, worker one day, I jokingly said to him, I was like, what's your job, mate? Because I'm after it. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, obviously going through recovery and coming out the other side, I was like, right. Time Now's to get my time. Job. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. How do you find when life is busy? Because you have got a lot, lot going on and you're a mum as well. And as well as all your, you know, your campaigning and your writing and all yeah. that sort of stuff. How do you um, with the risk of kind of like just jumping straight in at the deep end, but um, how do you how do you find like balancing your own mental health? You know, with busy busy life, do you have stuff in in place to kind of like keep an eye on yourself? I do and it's so cheesy. Forgive me, because of course I'm going to say self care. Of course I am, but obviously part of my mental health difficulties is when I tune out of my emotions if that makes sense mm. when you think about day-to-day life you, you get up you go to work you, well you drive to work you get to work you do your job you drive back you come home you cup of tea you put and you, you, you're just kind of going through the motions aren't you almost so one thing that I do that does sound cheesy forgive me but every time I wash my hands throughout the day I will genuinely just pause for a few seconds and just check in on how I'm actually feeling acknowledge that emotion figure out what that emotion is if I'm recognizing a reoccurring theme so stress for example do something about it Zoe don't just keep rolling on to the next thing actually plan in some self-care time make sure that I am resting yeah yeah that's a that's a, a great way to um to think about it because um I suppose like modern life society it's is built to distract us from these things isn't it and that's sometimes where the troubles lie is that distraction is so accessible in these lives that that we lead it is and overworking has become <sighs> I dare say fashionable I hate it it's, <laughs> but it is so normalized isn't it it's like oh overwork it's such a normal conversation to be having and I, I just despise it to be honest because yeah. why is it yeah definitely Oh yeah, very much so. You know, very much. I think the um the industrial revolution has got a lot to answer for. You know, that's kind of where all this stuff started, and like the world's changed. But some of our our ways of looking at the world and navigating the world they haven't changed. And you think like some stuff's like a hundred years out of date, and it's like how can we have a new iPhone like once a year, and yet we can't look at working practices that have been in place for uh, you know for tens of decades. But um yeah, the idea of being able to I suppose it's like a almost like a mindfulness snack, Zoe. You know, like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. it is. Little, I call it like <laughs> I call it my ten second reboot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. it. Literally, all, all it does is ten seconds, and when you think. Yeah, to toilet, you wash your hands, you're washing up something, grabbing a drink. It's just little snippets throughout the day that you can just ooh, pause, take that breath and just tune into those emotions. Yeah, it's a lovely way to look at that because as well, like sometimes we think that taking time for ourselves has to be you know, a lot of people, if you suggest like self-care or whatever, and they say, well, I haven't got time for that. Well, you know, we can all find those few seconds when we wash our hands and well, self-care is beginning to deter, oh, forgive me, but the term is beginning to grate on me a little bit at the minute, because when you search like self-care, it looks so perfect. 
you often see like this glamorous looking woman with a really expensive bath bomb and some fancy wine or something stands next to a bath. And I'm sorry, but great if that's your goes absolutely fine, nothing wrong with that. But for me, I don't know, self-care just means so much more. Setting those boundaries, um, having a really good cry, tuning into those emotions. Self-care looks so different for everybody. For me personally, music is my other go-to. I play the flute. So I can't often express how I'm feeling, but I can play it. Yeah, that's awesome. This it's sort of sometimes with these creative practices, it helps us kind of like tap into something a little bit, um, a little bit deeper. Yeah. And if you if you you know, like when you need a good cry and you can't quite get there, well, music's a good way to get you there sometimes, isn't it? And just get yeah. it out. Absolutely. Or just putting on one of those playlists that just again just lets you feel those emotions, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm the same. I don't do any too fan- anything too fancy. You know, I have like um like a lot of, I don't know, like nostalgia music. I quite like. You know, I'll throw on like a, a '90s playlist from my youth or something like yeah. that, or um even just an hour on the couch watching some nonsense on the telly. That you know that can reset me. It doesn't even have to be like um you know clever or pretentious or anything like that. You know, it's just what you need in that moment, yeah. right? Yeah. A little bit of my chemical romance any day. That's oh fun. mate, yeah, job done, <laughs> right? Nice and loud. <laughs> absolutely but, but if you like put me in the bath for example I can't switch off obviously part of having ADHD in my brain I, I, I can't shush that brain and I start thinking about random things like I don't know I wonder if cows can swim which they can by the way can they really yeah yes because <laughs> I found salt whilst I was in a bath but I sorry but I truly believe that I was like doing self-care wrong because this is what everyone else does so why can't I do it so yeah. it's just kind of figuring out what does work for you, what doesn't work for you, exploring different avenues, getting creative, checking in with your emotions, a walk maybe, just, you know, whatever it looks like for you. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's very personal um, personal it practice. Is. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing, Zoe, that you kind of learned this stuff over time because it is trial and error, isn't it? Kind of um, like working out what works and when and all the rest of it. So I, I suppose with that in mind, let's rewind a bit, um, Zoe. And when does your, like, mental health journey start how do things start to manifest for you if we can um, rewind back oh you know what I can't even I was so young so young um I grew up being a young carer basically my mum's disabled but then obviously when I started school because I was quite different to everybody else I didn't have the same upbringing as everyone else I guess it's quite a poor family as well so I was kind of bullied <laughs> quite a lot at school of course so I can't even remember I've always had ridiculously low self-esteem and really bad anxiety so I can't remember not being a nervous child I guess and and, you know like with so much in the mental health conversation you know self-esteem is like a like a almost a foundation of of a lot of these things isn't it you know it's um yeah it's 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 heavy it's really heavy especially when you're young and you've got to carry carry that stuff it's no wonder that we start to um that things start to the cracks start to appear shall we say as we uh as we get older absolutely and it wasn't until really recently that I've had a proper look and I'm still carrying some of those things with me I'm like why what purpose is is this surfing let's put that down and leave it in the past so I suppose you're most uh, like um known for your work in the the eating disorder world and I always kind of find that like, and I've said this before on the podcast that when it comes to eating disorders, because there's like a lot of 
very sort of physical stuff around it, they kind of get left out of the mental health conversation a little bit because people kind of wrongly assume that it is more of a more of a physical thing when it's not. It's like the, it's uh, it's the attachment to the thing, right? Is where it comes from, and this seems to be the more of these conversations I have is really interesting. You can look at all different types of like stigma and you know how that affects people, and a lot of that comes down to misinformation and then the more we drill down into more specifics, there's stigma on stigma and stigma. And I think that's something that you experienced, wasn't it, with your um, with atypical anorexia, is that there's like stigma within the stigma within the stigma, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. We we forget that eating disorders are a mental illness. You are absolutely right in saying that. I didn't look like I had an eating disorder, I guess. And I just want to point out, and I use this fact all the time, that only 7% of people with an eating disorder are actually underweight. Wow. That's, um, yeah, that's quite a, um, quite a crazy stat, right? It is. But yeah, when you look in the media, when you look at stories from eating disorders, it's only showing you that 7%. And it really bugs me. Because what about the other 93? 93%, that's just a quick maths there. It's being missed out. And this is why it is... You know, this is why people like myself are being missed. Yeah, sure. So can you, um, because a lot of people I think that are listening might not be too sure quite exactly what atypical anorexia is. Could you just kind of just like break down? How do you, when people ask you or when you're giving talks or whatever, how do you, how do you break down what that, what that is? In short, and I do get told off for this, but I don't care anymore. In short, I always say atypical anorexia is just the same as anorexia, but with a dose of fat phobia thrown in, just for good measures. (laughs) Because I was experiencing all the physical symptoms of anorexia. So my heart was knackered, basically. Um, I had amenorrhea, which means loss of periods, infertile. I was collapsing, low blood pressure. My bloods were just all over the place. But it was the mental side as well the checking behaviours, the obsessions, the low self-esteem that we talked about, the black and white thinking, so much there. But because my weight wasn't low enough, for some reason I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't allowed to have anorexia, it seems. Yeah. It's just frustrating. But yeah, I was just at risk as someone with anorexia. Wow. Because my my weight was in a normal category because I've also got a massive hormone imbalance. Yeah. Things and it wasn't taken seriously. I suppose like the, um, we like to have everything in boxes, isn't it? And if everything doesn't fit that stereotypical path, but surely that's got to make it really hard for people to get the help that they, that they need and that they deserve. Right. If we're not, if, if we're thinking in stereotypes, if the professionals are thinking in stereotypes even, and, and that's not the, not the case. Yeah. One thing about boxes is it frustrates me particularly with services because some services you might be too poorly for, but then other services you're not poorly enough. So there's this kind of middle ground where people are being missed. Because I was too unwell for like charities and things, because like I said, my, my physical health complications, services were like, mm-hmm, but your weight's not low enough. But it's like, what do I do then? Yeah, where do I go? Yeah, yeah that's got to be, um, I mean, that alone's going to just negatively impact your mental state isn't it just when you know you need help and the the places that you're told because there's all the signposting isn't there there's all like speak up and that's really hard to do and you finally do it and then like when you do speak up you feel like no one's listening and that's got to be like yeah that's got to be really hard huh? really really hard and then that feeds into that poor belief that you know you're not important 
you don't deserve help, you're not worthy of help, which of course fuels that hitting solar voids even more, but it then makes you more unwell. Yeah. So it's a vicious cycle. And oh, then you get, you get to a point where it's like, well, I'm not ill, but oh, someone would have helped me by now. And then you get into denial and it's a mess. Yeah. I suppose you can fall into like a pattern of, I suppose it's like gaslighting yourself, isn't it? You know, and yeah, there's, there's, absolutely. yeah, yeah, very much so. So was that, you know, was that when you started to struggle with, with atypical anorexia, Zoe, again, was that something that you, were you aware that something was happening or did that kind of just like sneakily um, just sort of ease into your life? It, I don't, it just snuck its way in. Sneaky little thing that it was. Um, it started when I was about 14. That's when I was a teenager. But then because like I would restrict for ages, but then I would also have a few episodes of binging, but then I'd res- what, the restriction was just different diets, just to the extreme. So I could diet and I could diet too well. <laughs> so I could lose the weight, but then obviously I'd just put it back on and then I'd lose it again. So I had no idea that what I was doing was so wrong because dieting is so normalized. Yeah, you know what? It really is. And it, there's always someone you speak to and they're on a, you know, some, you know, mad cabbage soup diet or, you know what I mean? So it, it does become um, commonplace. But yeah, if you take a step, step back and look at these conversations, if you've got like an office full of people, they're all going to be on different, some sort of different plan that's probably yeah. not you know very good at all and um yeah and you step back and look at uh, look at it out of context then it, it, it's quite bizarre really isn't it but like you say it's it's culture it's been normalized we live in a very disordered way of looking at food almost apart from the thing that books move these fad diets is another fact for you 95 to 98 percent of these fad diets fail so mm. it's like because you ask you know, someone that's done one of these diets, how many times they've done it. I can't say specifically which one because I get sued again. If you ask them how many times they've done it, I better say it's more than once because they don't work. No, that's so true. And I I think it's one of the few industries that actually wants their product to fail, isn't it? Because people just keep going, going back. Exactly. They're making money from insecurities that let's face it, they created in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So how did, how did you, get to a point where you did you realize that you needed help or did someone realize on your behalf Zoe? how did it work oh, my darling husband bless his heart I wouldn't be here today without him right. um I was I got into a really bad place where the eating sort of just took massive I had one of those years basically where everything just went belly up um I lost three people really close to me as well really stressful just everything basically and this time, you know, when I engage sort of behaviours as a way to cope, a way to numb those emotions, just distract myself from what was going on, I, I just fell big time. It just took hold of me. And I started collapsing at work. I couldn't do a shift without collapsing. My restriction got ridiculous, to be honest. Um, my exercise addiction was... I don't know how I'm alive, to be honest, looking back at it. Yeah, so obviously when we collapsed and my husband was like, come on now, what's going on? Mm. And eventually we kind of sat down one night and we was like, eh, maybe I've got a problem here. Maybe oh. maybe I need help for this. But it was him that was pushing me to go to the doctors, to get help and support. 
and then for his obviously to be turned because I did go to the GP GP with this originally, but um, the GP turned around and told me that I wasn't slim enough to have an eating disorder and to drink a full fat can of coke a day to stop me from collapsing. Wow. Yeah, not great advice, not great advice. So, so obviously I, I come away from that thinking, well, fine. Everything yeah. that I'm doing is clearly normal. It, my husband's got the problem, not me. He's overreacting. He's the worst. <laughs> but, um, so he ended up bringing like, my local sort of service directly like, on the phone to them for hours, just in bits, explaining everything. And I was like, no, 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 we need to see her like now. So it was him that actually got me into treatment. Right. Yeah. Cause I think with like a lot of things, when we get to that, like to the, you know, to the, like the worst point, right. To the hardest, most challenging point. And sometimes it takes that to make the decision to, to then try and get some help, but to get to that decision and then not be able to access the help, then that's, it's almost like rather than getting to the hardest bit, well, then we should start rebuilding from there. But it sounds like once you got to the hardest bit, it was then like another hard slog just to start, just to start getting to some support. It was so frustrating. And I remember being in hospital in June. Um, it was June 2018. Again, I've collapsed at work, which had become quite a regular thing for me. And um, they was doing heart scans and stuff. And in September, following on from those scans in June, in September 2018, I saw I wouldn't live to see Christmas. Wow. If I carried on because of the damage that the insult was doing to my heart, but how could I have any insult because I'm not slim enough? You know, it was so. I entered treatment in September, luckily, but I had such a problem accepting how unwell I was because society portrays eating disorders with that seven percent that we talked about earlier. That's all you see. So I can acknowledge that I did have a problem. Yeah, sure. Wow. And then how does that? Um how do you start to rebuild from there Zoe you know because the recovery process is um you know it's long it's complicated it's certainly not linear right and um yeah so how do you start to now so they've acknowledged that you know it's a thing you know and you finally found someone who's gonna gonna listen and how how do you start to rebuild from there of course like you said it's not linear um acceptance of course was the first first massive part Accepting I had a problem, accepting the help, accepting the things that the treatment team was trying to tell me was real and just throwing myself in wholeheartedly, really. I got to a point where I did realise that I was unwell and I didn't want to live like this anymore. I didn't want to be, I didn't want my heart to be, I wanted to get better. So once that stubbornness kind of kicked in, if you like, then I was warm and determined and that was it. Oh, mate. Yeah. So that's, um, yeah, that's tough, right? There's a lot, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot to, um, a lot to unpack. And it was it part of that journey that you kind of, um, learnt about set point theory. Was that kind of like the, the anchor for you to, um, you know, to start, to start getting things where you needed them to be? Yeah, it was. Um, set point theory was introduced by like a community support worker at the time. And once I kind of heard about that, I kind of, the yo-yo died that I was talking about earlier and the fact that 5.8% of diets fail and why my weight has just been like a massive yo-yo I guess it I don't know it just all clicks and it, it was like a switch almost in my brain that was like oh I, oh I get it now I get it I finally get it 
So how how would you um just for people listening who don't want it, I, I I asked you a question there with I, me knowing the answer, but that's not the way to podcast, right? So how do we explain um set point theory? Oh, I wish I could get that like, little chalkboard out and show you properly. <laughs> set point theory basically explains, like I said, why diets don't work. If you imagine your body's height, your body's temperature, it's kind of in your DNA. It's in your genetics. Now our weight kind of works the same. It is in our genetics. And many things kind of make up our set point weight. Um, hormones, if you've had children, that can alter your set point. Different medications, different illnesses, poverty, different backgrounds, different races, different cultures. You know, all these things make up our weight, our genetics, our set point. Which is why when you think, oh, I'm going to lose the weight by dieting and exercise. Is that gonna is that is that weight gonna stay off? I wonder if all of these other things contribute to your weight. No, I don't think so. Somehow, but what happens is your body kind of rebels against these diets to bring you back to your set weight. So if you eat less than what your body likes, if you weigh less than what your body likes, your metabolism slows right down. You start to feel colder. You start to have health conditions almost as well. But also, what happens is your hunger signals raise. So you find yourself thinking about food more, becoming obsessed with recipes, maybe walking into the kitchen, not knowing why the minute you've walked in there. It's your body trying to tell you to go and get food. It's your body trying to bring you back up to its set point. Yeah. But also, if we overeat, and I always Christmas as an example, because we've just had Christmas as well. Um, and I'm still 99% free at this point. <laughs> when we when we do overeat, our bodies kind of do the opposite. So our metabolism speeds up and our hunger signals slow down to bring our bodies back down to our set weights. I'm now the same size as what I was before Christmas, but I haven't crashed dieted or anything. My appetite's naturally changed. And I find myself craving different foods. I can't even look at a block of cheese, to be honest, still. I'm st- uh, yeah, I'm craving different things, but I'm not doing anything. That's my body naturally doing that to bring me back down to my set point, to my set weight predetermined genetic weight really hope that made sense it really did it really did and it makes sense not only in the way you explained it but you know i'm trying to i was trying to put things in the context of like my life right so i can understand them and that just makes so much so much sense you know so um if i'm i don't know if i decide i'm i i do a lot of work in like the fitness world and stuff as part of my day job so if i decide i'm going to be like a runner and my miles are going up then because i'm like doing more then obviously how my body, how much it weighs or how it looks is going to change. But then once I stop running, eventually like kind of settles. And if I look back at all the different things that I've done over the years, um, I kind of always end up exactly back how I am. Right. You know, like it just makes, yeah, it makes, um, it makes so much, it makes so much sense. Yeah. Just so kind of gravitate. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You just kind no. of gravitate that naturally back to a size. Yeah, that's based on like all these sort of like genetic factors, which again, because like we kind of think as like humans that, you know, we're all variations on a theme, right? So we're not all supposed to be the same. We're all supposed to be different in loads of different ways, but we kind of have it in us that we're all like, you know, everyone's the same and it's all, but it's it's not, that's just not how it works, right? We're not robots, we're human beings. Exactly. And I always scream this on the rooftops that we are genetically designed to be different and isn't that wonderful isn't that a good thing isn't that exciting almost yeah it really is. is 
Yeah, me too. Yeah, very much so. You know, we were chatting at the start. I can't remember if it was like before I was recording or not, but we were chatting about, you know, old work practices in the Industrial Revolution and like some of these ideas about how we're all supposed to look. It's just ingrained, isn't it? Because it's been around for for such a long time, you know, and we're kind of now realizing that, you know, just because something's always been there doesn't mean it's right, you know, and um, if, if we can view ourselves as individuals, then it just makes so much, so much difference. Because it's so much easier to like accept yourself, isn't it? When you're not comparing yourself to everybody else, because there's no point comparing yourself to people that are supposed to be different to you. That kind of, that makes so much more sense, doesn't it? Exactly. And I always say to people with regards to that comparing yourself, particularly comparing your bodies, you can appreciate something about someone without wanting to change yourself. So you might notice that, I don't know, someone's got nice shoulders, random, but okay, they've got nice shoulders, but they're not going, oh, I wish I had that. Just cut out that little bit and appreciate that person's body without wanting to change yourself. Yeah, that's lovely. I suppose it's kind of like a a gratitude practice in a way, isn't it? And yeah, imagine that as well. If we all just went around and like, you know, say pointing out the nice stuff about each other and then just leaving it there. You know, like that, just what a lovely world to live in, Zoe, you know? You know what, I'm such a compliment on that. If I do notice something nice, I will go and tell them. My husband <laughs> actually drives them up the wall because I'm just off all the time talking to random strangers. <laughs> oh, I think that's lovely, you know? When someone's having like a bit of a bit of a bad day and then you just get a lovely compliment off a, off a stranger, it's nice, isn't it? It's like when you get a smile or someone holds a door or, you know, something like that, it kind of reminds you that... Um, humanity's not not all that bad right exactly little acts of kindness yeah that's it yeah yeah so i mean i can really see why um coming across set point theory would have been really like almost empowering i suppose when you were um you know really on your on your road to recovery you know kind of gives you um a a different view to how you've always viewed things is that right oh yeah because like i said it kind of made sense like you kind of you're not happy with your set point so you go on a diet engage in dietary behaviors you lose weight but then as you said the second you stop you gravitate back to your set point not happy with your set point so you kind of diet you lose weight and you just kind of keep going round and round and round however when I was going round those dietary behaviors were just so extreme and it just took over my life and I was like why am I basing my whole life on numbers why am I basing who I am as a person on a number on a blooming scale that's like the least interesting thing about me is my body so what am I doing and I remember one day I just like grabbed my scales and actually smashed them to smithereens because I was so angry and frustrated that this illness had made me believe that that's that's all I was to anyone was a number Mm. Yeah, I think like that you know scales when it comes to comes to like their place in society is so like I don't know it's not even a thing, right? So like when you step on a scales and that number comes up, it is literally a measurement of your relationship with the ground. You know, like it doesn't account for anything, does it? It doesn't. And yet it's, it, it just became this, this thing, like you say with diet culture, when that, when that came in, um, that, yeah, we use it for, for everything, but people don't even think, you know, you can weigh yourself, can't you, at different times of day and whether you've had a drink of water, whether you've been to the toilet, all these things are a factor that's going to change that number and that number means absolutely nothing at all. Is that something you think that's got to, um, you know, needs to change in the in the way that we support people with eating disorders and stuff? Because it sounds like, you know, a lot of, you know, whether it's BMI or whether it's weight and stuff, that's still much, very much being used and that must have been a factor in your own in your own journey. Oh, 
before he said that PMI word. Oh, I've got such a passionate hatred towards that nearly swollen measuring index. Oh, you can you can swear on proper mental. It's a free for all. I do apologize, but I was going to call it the bullshit measuring index because it's (laughs) what it is. I'm going to go off on tangent. I do apologize, but it was created 200 years ago by a statistician. It was never intended for medical use. Now I'm sorry, but even if it was intended for medical use, 200 years ago we were still using cocaine and leeches to treat illnesses. So why on earth is this still being used 200 years later? Well, I, I just don't, it just absolutely blows my mind. I understand that it's just a kind of quick, easy way to, but it doesn't take into account, like we was on about earlier, the set point, the genetics, the muscle mass, the race, the culture, poverty, all these things, it just ignores all of that and it just does height and weight. This is why you get athletes that are obese. It just just makes no sense. Yeah, sure. I think that it also comes back around to that whole thing we said at the start about eating disorders not being looked at as a mental illness. Because, you know, if you go in with depression, no one's going to, you know, I can't even think of a way that they do it with their brain. But no one's saying, oh, let's like weigh your head, and, you know, make sure your brain's behaving itself. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's using a, um, it's using the wrong measure well you know there is no measurement for a mental illness but it's trying to find the physical measurement for a mental problem and that of course that doesn't work right that makes sense i love the way you've just phrased that because you've hit the nail on because again going back to it is a mental illness i wouldn't dare go out the house because i was so anxious about the way i looked how can it be a my chart like put into words what I've just said that it doesn't like the way I felt about my body was awful and again the black and white thinking the low self-esteem depression feeds into it as well of course it doesn't I just don't understand how you can just go oh no you can't have an eating disorder because this chart says so I'm sorry would you like to step inside my brain for a day and then tell me this is that what a lot of your work centers around now Zoe like raising awareness about this sort of stuff because I don't think people know do they because we have to you know we have to well we don't have to but we do so we trust that process right so like someone gets poorly say right you need some help let's go to the help and then there must be so many people who get to that stage and then um you know don't know this stuff right you know and like you did originally you get sent away initially and be like well there's nothing wrong with me I'm fine um, so is that is that a case of um, is that a lot of what you do is kind of like talk about this stuff and and just get this information out there so people know that there are other other routes and other options. Absolutely, yes. Um, scream it from the rooftops as loud as I can. Things that I say to everyone and treatment centres still aren't listening. That the, even a nice guideline states that you cannot determine whether or not to treat someone purely based on a BMI you have to go on all these other factors but yet that BMI is still being used it's like a get out of jail card almost for treatment centers and it needs shaking up yeah and I suppose like I kind of like if I'm thinking of it from like someone else's perspective and if you've like been struggling with this illness for a long time and you've got a really funny relationship with the scales at home and you go and see a doctor and the first thing they ask you to is jump on the scales well that's just not right. going to be a great start to the conversation right that's straight away that that's not going to um you know that's going to push people away and yeah that's going to change change what happens in that in that session yeah yeah 
Yeah, to be fair, um, when I was originally weighed at doctors, I was quite looking forward to stepping on the scales because I was like, oh, I wonder if these are different to mine. Oh my gosh, what happens if mine are, mine are wrong at home? What happens if, I'm, if I am like half a kilogram or whatever out? Because it's just the way that my brain worked at the time. So I suppose a lot of um, part of your recovery with this must, you mentioned like acceptance before, and we've chatted about self-esteem already. Have you got any um, things that you've used for yourself or that you that you talk about about how people can start to kind of look at their self-esteem and start to boost it and how to view things differently. Because I feel like one of my sayings is that we all break in different ways, but it's a lot of the same stuff that comes out, right? So self low self-esteem can lead us to eating disorder. It can lead us to depression, anxiety. It can lead us all over the place. And so, you know, but so we can all, what's good for one can be good for everybody does that make sense like uh, I think I've kind of yes. lost the train of thought there but yeah I'm just after some self-esteem tips is the short version of that ramble <laughs> well I very much enjoyed ramble anyway so thank you <laughs> and it wasn't it was far from rambling only then but I think one of the things that we do that's very British almost that does contribute to that low self-esteem is when you pay someone a compliment what does that person tend to do they kind of pull out face and go oh you're wrong or oh no, you're lying to me and we can't acknowledge when we're doing good things because it feels uncomfortable it feels uncomfortable almost to celebrate the wins to celebrate when you do well to appreciate and just give yourself that pat on the back almost yeah that's so true i was having this conversation just the other day on another podcast and i was saying like you know you could spend i don't know you could do something you're so so proud of and then you tell someone about it and you go well you know it's probably not very good it's like i'll say i'll say it and as i say those words in my head i'm going what do you mean i know it's good i worked really hard why am i playing this down but yeah we do don't we yeah but to take those take those pats on the back from other people and, and wear them proudly right listen to them yeah um one of the things i always say to people is the other the person complimenting you it they're not just doing it to be nice they've noticed it all you have to say is thank you that's all you have to do i'm saying that with a grin because i'm still working on this massive hypocrite over here but thank you and just absorb it just write it down if you have to and just refer back to it when you are having a really rubbish day remind yourself of all these wonderful things that people have said about you yeah, just kind of, yeah, embrace it. Yeah, is that what you mean when you say, like, life in full colour, Zoe? Is that kind of, um, that's a, a bit of a, a catchphrase of yours on your website? Life in full colour, absolutely. Um, so I've mentioned earlier that obviously I do have ADHD and I've spent, like, my whole life, as we said earlier, again, trying to squeeze into boxes and fit into what society wants, be who everyone else wants me to be. I completely lost who I was. So obviously going through recovery, I'm just like, no, I refuse to fit into people's boxes now. I'm going to live my life fully and be this, you can probably see my hat, like colourful person and embrace all these colourful aspects of my personality that I've spent so long suppressing and trying to hide. So it's just embracing, embracing that and just letting it, letting it out into the world. Yeah, because again, part of the trouble with masking like your personality is again that does lead to that low self-esteem because you're trying to you you feel like you're wrong in the world if that makes sense. You feel like you don't belong here, and you just you're trying to please all the wrong people. Yeah, very much. Yeah, that was definitely. Um, I talk about that on here quite a lot. It was definitely part of my own my own journey. You know, I'd like I suppose so many different faces for so many different people. I've just forgot who I was in the in the middle and yeah it's not um 
It's not a healthy, not a healthy way to live. It's not sustainable. And it's one of those things, isn't it? It's like death by a thousand paper cuts. We can actually live like that for a long, long time. And then it, we, it becomes normal and we think it's just behavior, but there's something said for being able to access your true, true authentic self and, and let it out there into the world. Right. Absolutely. And the problem with using all those different masks, it's so exhausting and it's kind of, I don't know about you, but I used to forget which mask I needed for which person almost. I said, oh, can I talk about this with you? Oh, no, I can't. Oh, I need to talk about this with this person. And I can't talk about that with you, but I can talk about, oh, my goodness. And you just get so overwhelmed. Yeah. I think there's really something in that as well about like being the change, because I always feel like really empowered to be like that when I see other people being like that. Do you know what I mean? So I have this conversation like with someone like yourself and I'll come away and I'll think like, yeah, that, that was like, you know, I feel like inspired, like watching you do your thing. And that will make me want to do my thing as well. I think there is with that, ha- trying to, to love ourselves and have more self-esteem. There is that sort of thing, isn't it? The more people that do it, it's almost catching. It's like positivity, positivity that's catching rather than negativity, isn't it? I hope so. <laughs> you never know, you know, in, it's a funny old world out there at the minute, and it's it is a little bit doom and gloom. Let's face it. There's so much going on in the world, so just to try and inject a little bit of positivity, maybe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think we could all um, we could all use it, mate. Yeah, very, very much so. So, how's um, where are you at with your like recovery now? If you don't mind me asking, like, how's how's things? Are you is it is it ongoing, Zoe? Is it like a um, like obviously we've we always got to be aware of these things, but is it? You know, are we in? Are you in recovery for forever, or like, how does it work? You know what? I'll let you know <laughs> if, if I'm in forever. But I, I consider myself recovered now. I do. Um, I don't now and then. If I have like a little eating sort of thought, or that little voice pipes up, it's normally because something else in my life is going a little bit pear shaped. So I kind of use it to my advantage almost. Yeah, it's like so, a spider sense. Absolutely, it's really, it's really shit superpower to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the other day I looked in the mirror and I just had a bad body image for it, and I said, like, "Oh, hello, Ed." That's what I call me eating sort of for sure. I said, like, "Oh, hello, Ed. What are you doing here?" And I just spent a few minutes and I was like, "Okay, I've got loads of projects on the go. I'm currently working three part-time jobs. I've got a one-year-old. I'm still caring for my mum. My car's broken down. Oh, I'm stressed." That's why Ed's piping up. It's actually because I'm stressed and I need to slow down. Yeah. So I, hope, I kind of hope that makes sense. It really does. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I always think that if I if I feel like I'm having a bad day, like I know I, I won't go back to that, the place, you know, the really dark yeah. place where I spent some time. I know that's not going to happen again. I've got the tools now to make sure that doesn't exactly. happen. And if I do start to feel not great and I look back at the weeks building up to that point, this is normally something I should be doing and I haven't been doing or, you know, there's normally you can see, you can, you go, Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> it just makes, oh, makes so, much, so much sense. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned, um, mentioned the baby there and that's quite interesting actually, like with, um, uh, with pregnancy, Zoe, because obviously, you know, like as a, as a woman, there's an incredible amount of change, both like physically, emotionally, you know, like how how does that affect recovery going through that process? That must have been quite a big deal. Well, I was told that, you know, I wasn't even able to have children because the damage that the eating disorder did to my reproductive system. Wow. It was in, it was kind of, was on a waiting list basically for IVF and I was on all these different <laughs> medications and things that just turned me into a bit of a beast to be honest. 
But I was on all these medications. And we was due to start IVF in March, but I fell pregnant in January. And it took, I think I ended up like taking about 12 tests because I was just like, no, just, just what is this? This is amazing. But then it kind of hit the fear kicked in, I guess, because I knew that my body would change quicker than what my mind would probably handle. Mm. So I handled pregnancy. I was eating well because, you know, I had to because I wasn't just feeding myself. I was feeding little one. But I found the eating sort of manifest into different obsessions, if you like. So I became too focused on making sure that I had my fiery day because that's what the midwives told me I had to do. So I had to do it, like obsessively do it. Um, they told me that I had to keep doing gentle exercise. So again, I had to. But I struggled with um, pelvic girdle pain. My hips kind of dislocated. So I was laid up for most of my pregnancy. But because my midwives told me that I had to stay active, that oh my goodness, the battle in my head was hideous. There's a lot to, um, yeah, a lot to contend with as well. It is, but it, it's not. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. There's, you know, there's that kind of, I don't know, there's the novelty of doing it on screens, it's, isn't there? Yeah. But once that, that wears off pretty quick and then the, um, yeah, yeah, it's not the same. I needed someone to like hold my daughter for me while I had to cry, to be honest. So of course I did struggle with postnatal depression in a way to deal with those emotions, a way to mask those thoughts was, of course, to engage in eating disorder behaviours. So I did fall after I was, after I'd given birth. I fell hard. But because I'd always been through recovery, I kind of recognised what it was. And my husband was a lot more switched on as well. So when I started skipping meals and counting calories again and, you know, tugging and pulling at my weight, it was like, hmm, this isn't right. Hmm. Is, is Ed's back? I was like, yeah, yeah, Ed's been very loud at the minute. So, yeah, but I had to go private. Um, we had to take out a loan to pay for private treatment because coronavirus was around. We didn't know how long I'd be waiting for. And because I was spiralling quite quickly, I didn't want to end up oh, as poorly as I was a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like keeping a bud straight away, so to speak. But then now, sort of, yeah, it sounds like you're doing great now. So it sounds like oh, it was yeah. worth it was worth that investment. Oh, it absolutely was, and my little girl's absolutely thriving, <laughs> to say the least. She makes me <laughs> so proud every day. So proud. She, I look at her. You know, when you go check on your kids, you know, before you go to bed, I just put my head in the door, and I just feel so overwhelmed with emotion because it's like, oh my god, my body produced this. Despite yeah, everything, yeah. my body did this. And look, despite all the negative voices, you know, telling me I'm not a good enough mom, I'm going to fail her, and blah, 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 whatever. She's actually doing all right. She's thriving. She's yeah. happy. She's happy. And that's all I can ask for, really. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I think it's a really, um, like, a good way to start thinking about ourselves is to think about, like, what our bodies do for us, right? You know, like, like, you know, like for yourself carrying a child, or even if it's if you're doing like physical stuff, or whether it's go to the gym or go walking or whatever it is that people to do to like focus on what your body actually does. You know that helps you to see the see the worth in it rather than you know what it looks like or how like thin you can make it or you know. But to actually think about what does this get this body like gifts me day to day with all this stuff that I I need it to you know, and it's pretty wonderful when you think about it. Think about I'm it like that. I'm giggling because that's like. Have you been to one of my talks? Because this is, I'm sure, 
literally <laughs> this is one of the things like set point and body appreciation is like my top two most talk about topics oh right <laughs> that I do generally say to people is you know if you look in the mirror and you're pulling your legs to bits I was bullied for having like tree trunk legs as a kid thanks bullies it just stuck so when I recognize that thought pop up in my head I just pause and I'm like stop it what can my legs do oh my gosh they're actually amazing they can walk they can dance jump for joy I don't know but they allow me to do so much I'm actually really thankful for my legs that's it isn't it? when we go through life yeah being thankful for that stuff then it's just um it's just nice isn't it it's just a nice yeah. oh yeah speaking of your legs zoe this is a weird segue but I wa- what? <laughs> speaking of your legs i want to talk about your feet um <laughs> because you're known as the as the barefoot rebel which is like possibly the best instagram handle of anyone i've had on the podcast so far and anyone who knows me personally will be um they'll be laughing that i'm asking about your feet because i'm a massive advocate for bare feet um oh, yeah i, yeah, I very rarely wear shoes and i'm lucky enough to have a have a job where i don't need to wear shoes and i i can go like days without even putting any on you know i've even been seeing like walking to work with my shoes off but um yeah so how did your um your interest in uh you know how did the barefoot rebel come to be basically the very first time i spoke publicly was when i gave my tedx talk was it really start big or go home you know that's it no messing about (laughs) but I applied for it after I'd had I'm not gonna lie after I'd had like a few drinks and I I didn't think I would actually be accepted to do the talk I have a massive anxiety disorder as well as meeting disorder and PTSD and stuff so to get me on that stage delivering a talk in front of no 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 no, that's not gonna happen so the only way I could actually get on that stage was to go on barefoot and if anyone that's ever seen my TED talk you can actually see my feet like gripping the rug at periods throughout the talks it's just a way of grounding myself just to calm down those racing thoughts what does the rug feel like what am I feeling on my feet just root myself to the floor and every public talk I've done now I still get nervous even tonight talking to you I am barefoot and my feet are rubbing against um, the wooden floor because it's just a grounding technique yeah it just slows down the anxiety and it just calms me down oh, wow. so, um, barefoot rebel was a nickname that one of the co- TEDx coaches gave to me because obviously I'm a little rebel apparently um, rebelling against diet culture rebelling about against fitting into boxes and being what society wants, screw that, I'm going to be what I want. And then the Beth, so yeah, so just, they just kind of put it together. And one day, Richard just called me Barefoot Rebel, and it, that was it. It stuck. <laughs> oh mate yeah it's brilliant i'll put um i'll put links to your ted talk in the episode notes and stuff because it is wonderful it's a it's a great um a great like breakdown of your of your journey and um you know everything you've you've learned from it and um yeah it's got to be the only barefoot ted talk out there as well right it's got to be got to you so it's worth watching for that trendsetter there we go never thought i'd be going to trendsetter before oh mate so i've enjoyed our chat so much tonight mate thank you so much for joining me i really appreciate it thank you for having me i really appreciate it and you know you've got a platform so thank you for letting me waffle on about eating disorders and breaking that stigma and those stereotypes that people have and waffling on about bmi rubbish and uh, but no, really it's, it. you know it's really important and that's the whole point i want to have like relatable conversations and the whole point is that either people can hear it and say oh my gosh 
I relate to that or hear it and go, oh my gosh, I'd never thought of it like that, you know? So you never know. There might be someone listening who, who needs to, needs to hear that, you know? And, um, you know, and that's the, that's the point of, of talking, right? That's the point of us letting it all out there. Absolutely. That's why oh. I do what I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. Well, thank you very much, Zoe. Thank you. It's brilliant. Thank you. mental podcast please like and subscribe the space star